If you love all things gardening, why not join us at our Spring Fair from the 3rd to the 5th of May at Bewley in Hampshire. You'll find everything you need to kickstart the season. Find out more at bbcgardenersworldfair.com. See you there. This episode is brought to you by the Inspire Collection by Kalia. Just because you're working out doesn't mean you shouldn't look fabulous. The Inspire Collection by Kalia was designed with both style and performance in mind. It looks good, feels good, and stays put no matter how you move. And the collection has everything you need for a day at the gym. A support bra, crop tanks, bike shorts, amazing leggings, and more. It's their most versatile collection yet. Shop the Inspire Collection by Kalia now, exclusively at Dick's Sporting Goods. Hello, welcome to Growing Greener. I'm Ara Anderson, and this is my podcast series for Gardener's World magazine, where I'm inviting experts to share their knowledge about how we can all become sustainable gardeners. Through a blend of science-based facts, research, experience, and above all passion, you'll discover how your actions in the garden will make a real difference to the planet. Our heart rate slows, our mood-enhancing hormones rise, and our blood pressure lowers. These are just some of the scientific facts that tell us being in nature is good for our health. Intrinsically, we are connected to nature, and tending to our gardens is a good way to garden our minds. So says Sue Stewart-Smith, who is not only a leading qualified psychiatrist, but also a very good gardener. Join me in this episode for a fascinating insight into how therapeutic horticulture has helped war veterans, prisoners, patients and herself, and how a dose of nature is good medicine for us all. Hi Sue and welcome to Growing Greener. Really good to have you here. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here, Harriet. Oh, it's, it's just it's, it's great. I'm very, really, I love talking about well-being. So we're in, I'm in good hands, I feel. Now, I know that you're a keen gardener and uh, your partner, Tom, is a professional landscape architect. And, you know, you are surrounded by nature at home all the time. But what I wanted just to start on was about your work and just make sure that, you know, I've got a clear understanding about that work. You're a psychiatrist and um, you're a lead clinician in psychotherapy. And I just wanted you to tell us a bit about what a psychotherapist does and and what led you to that role. Oh, gosh, that's a big question, Arid. <laughs> um, I have to say I'm no longer the lead clinician. I used to be the lead for Hertfordshire, uh, and that came to an end when I retired from the NHS uh, a bit over five years ago. And since then, I've worked as a psychotherapist in a service, a not-for-profit service that supports doctors suffering from stress and burnout and so on. So that's, in terms of my psychiatry and psychotherapy, that's really what I'm up to at the moment. In terms of the role of a psychotherapist, because I think it's important to understand that role before we sort of talk further into our conversation. Can you tell me a bit more about it? It's a complex role, actually, because you spend quite a lot of time with your patients or your clients. And um, you, you know, you need to be able to listen very carefully uh, to really understand and help them understand what what's happening to them or what has happened to them, what kind of feelings they're having, what experiences they've had. Um, but at the same time, you also need to be able to, to formulate uh, changes, uh, 
whatever, uh, differences in attitudes, all sorts of different things, really, strategies and so on, that might help them help them get out of that state. Because most people come for psychotherapy because they feel very stuck in one way or another. Um, and, and of course, as a, a psychoanalytic psychotherapist, which is what my training is in, I'm always listening for the, for the subtext, for the things that are perhaps being implied or um, only partially said, uh, things that are a bit more unconscious but may be exerting quite an influence and, and contributing to, to the state that somebody's in. Yeah, thank you. Because I think it was just important just to hear, you know, how complex the role that, like you say, that you have. And also that it's that complexity that I think we'll be talking about today that that people have um, with their current state of being and, and why gardens can be so um, powerful for that. So, I mean, we know that nature is important to us. Um, and I, I kind of, when I've, I've been reading your book, The World Garden Mind, which we're going to talk through um, the whole of this conversation, I'm sure. But I was really amazed at just the amount of science about that brain. I mean, we know the brain is complex, but in terms of the, the connection that you've been making to nature, can we kind of talk a bit more about that, how the brain actually works? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I spent five years researching the book and I was really amazed, actually, at um, the complexity of that interaction and its importance. Um, but in one way, you know, we really shouldn't be surprised by it because we are in origin, um, you know, in terms of our evolution, a grassland species. And, you know, we emerged in the, in the savannas of, 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 of Africa. Uh, so, so, you know, we, we, we've, through evolution, we've been primed, really, our brains and our bodies in various ways to, to respond to all sorts of different aspects of the natural world. And, you know, what, what a garden offers in particular is, usually, in most cases, is, 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 a, is a sort of oasis or, or sanctuary of green and, and beautiful nature. I mean, that's the sort of garden at its best and, and most restorative, isn't it? And, and for our very remote ancestors, our hunter-gatherer forebears, you know, anything that was was lush and green, um, where there was, you know, likely to be water nearby, flowers that would in turn produce fruits and berries and so on. Um, these were good indications of, of, of your survival. You know, this is a good place to be. So it's not surprising that, that, um, that it, you know, these things bring all sorts of neurochemical and um, other benefits, you know, benefits on our cardiovascular system and so on. It's as if we can relax and feel, yeah, this is a good place to be. I mean, that is, that is, you know, it's important, I think, to to hear that because so often when we say, oh, yeah, I, I just feel good in a garden and, and you actually can't put your finger on it. And then having that reference to the fact that, well, obviously seeing lush means that there must be bountiful food, for example, and and its health that that does make sense, and and I think there's always this thing with the garden. It's that 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 sort of synaptic point between what's physical and what's the non-physical, the non-tangible, and that's why I was you know trying to understand obviously the role that that, that you've you've um, played in your in your work over the years, in in terms of kind of building these bridges for people, I guess, and the garden is a bridge maker, isn't it? Absolutely, in all sorts of different ways, and and um, I, 
the way I describe the garden in, in terms of its function is very much as an in-between space. Um, you know, it's between the home and the outside world. Um, and uh, it's a place where you can sort of sidestep the other pressures in your life. It has this wonderful transitional quality to it. But at the same time, it's not a complete escape from life uh, because we are connected really to the source of life, to the earth and, and the plants that ultimately sustain, sustain life on earth. So, so yes, I, I, that's how I see it as, as, a, as a transitional sort of place to be, really. And, and also a place that's transitional psychologically. So we can we can sort of we can go into our own our own dreams, our own thoughts, our own imagination. You know, I often find myself sort of daydreaming when I'm gardening, and um, that's you know. But at the same time, I'm very involved in something physical and earthy, and it's sort of for me it kind of bridges the two: the kind of cerebral on the one hand, and the and the and the sort of muddy physicality of, 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 of life too. Yeah, absolutely. I know that when I first got my garden, I, I genuinely thought my sister would, who's a gardener, she'll she'll do it, she'll set it up and I'd come home with a glass of wine and do a bit of deadheading and and realise that that was not what was going to happen. And, and, you know, by getting involved, as you say, was a way of also being involved also allowed me to be devolved from it as well if you know what I mean I was able to do tasks certainly the weeding and and that 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 task for me is um the one which literally feels like it declutters your mind that and sweeping up (laughs) now these these meditative tasks these kind of repetitive rhythmical tasks in the garden are very very beneficial I mean you can find them through other activities but but I think the garden, because you've got the whole setting supporting you in doing that, in terms of all the anti-stress effects of nature around you, I think it's particularly powerful in the garden. And, and people often talk about um, losing themselves, that sense of just getting lost in the action, getting into a state of flow with what they're doing. And, and you know, neurochemically, that's a, that is a replenishing state for the brain. So it's not only pleasurable, but it's actually really good for us. I mean, there is so much more science um, coming to the fore, really, isn't there, about, you know, um, our connection to nature, about well-being. And, you know, in your experience over, the, you know, you've got this wealth of experience, not only within your the job that you've that you've done, but also your own experience of, of having a garden because you created a garden, didn't you, from pretty much scratch, you and Tom? Yeah, I have to say Tom completely took the lead on this <laughs> and still does. You know, I mean, he's, because he's a real plantsman as well as a designer. And when we got married, it was well over 30 years ago now, and we started you know, little by little making a garden um, tiny steps really towards the, the large garden that we now have because um, it was an and it was an open field so we had to sort of bite off small small patches of it um, I sort of just followed along really and and um, you know thought you know was sort of yeah just you know listen to him and 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 you know I still I'm afraid I'm not very good at plant names and so I can't say oh what's that plant called again but the thing I really got into, uh, which was probably about five years after we started making our garden, was the was herb growing herbs first of all, and then vegetable gardening, which I still I mean that's my main 
involvement in in our garden at home um and and that's the thing that I love you know when I was talking about the way one can start dreaming and whatever you know for me I'm already this time of year I'm I'm sort of you know looking at the seed packets and and, and dreaming of what's to come um and getting excited about you know planting um uh, you know, cutting flowers that will encourage the pollinators. I, I always do that, but I'm trying some slightly different ones this year. So, um, so you know, it's just yeah. I think yeah, that that's how that's how our garden evolved, and it continues to evolve. Actually, lots of things have changed within it. Um, Which is that experimentation, I guess, isn't it? That that's it's part that's part of it. And then and and then just going back to what we were started off saying about you know, the, the, the synaptic, that, that kind of gap between what can be the, the daydream and, and and real life and how the garden helps us mirror. I'm, I'm listening to your whole, you know, voice and I could feel your energy shift when you were talking about those, um, that, 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 that vegetable, the vegetables. Do you think there's something in there it's about? Because with, with vegetables and, and fruit and herbs, they physically nurture us, they feed us. Is there a feed that comes from that? I think there is, and uh, certainly, you know, I've always loved cooking, and I knew much more about cooking when I got married than gardening, and um, so cooking was my way in to gardening, really, and and for me, that's always been one of the sort of drivers. I think is is you know, just trying different things, and uh, they're always so much more tasty, and and you know that they're more nutritious as well, so because they're just so fresh and. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, that that for me is really important. I think food is, and and you know it was very striking in a lot of the projects that I visited for my book, um, mental health projects, community farms, or urban urban farms, uh, allotments, um, hospital gardens, and so on. You know, just just actually the the being able to grow food is. It's very empowering. People feel quite empowered by it. It's not about being self-sufficient because that really is a nightmare if you try and do that. It's very, very hard work indeed. So I think one has to be realistic. But being able to supplement your, your, your cooking with homegrown produce is, is, is so rewarding. Um, and, and actually when somebody has very low self-esteem or, you know, they... Yeah, they 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 feel um, anxious about life. There can be something that helps you feel a bit more um, self, sort of self sufficient, able to look after yourself in the world, something like that. I mean, I think it's a very basic instinct about survival. You know, I could I could feed myself, or I can feed my family. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I'm a, I often get told, well, because I'm a Virgo, so I'm an earth sign. And at some point, it made sense that I would actually end up doing one of my many roles, you know, within, within a garden. There was like, oh, okay, I'd not thought of that connection. Yes, I am an earth sign and get my hands in the earth. But but I think, you know, the the nurture element, which is incredibly important, whether it's nurturing the physical, nurturing our minds, and obviously what's led you to write this book, we are in a time and um, an age where everything's fast, 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 pace, pace, pace. We're swiping. We've got apps open. You've literally got too many brain tabs open that reflect, you know, all of these things, the tech, the technical world that we live in, the tech sort of savvy world, the pace of life. What type of effect is that having on our, our brains our, our, and our psyche and our well-being? Well, I think uh, we have to be really careful how 
how much we use technology. You know, I'm not, I'm not sort of anti-technology, um, but but yes, not to overload. And I, you know, I I do a lot as much as I can to limit my screen time. Really, I think this myth of multitasking is needs to be totally sort of. Um, you know, thrown out the window, really, um, because the way the brain is, um, the way the brain operates is that really we can only attend fully to one thing at a time. And and so we end up with, we waste a lot of mental energy by switching and, and sort of, you know, getting distracted uh, through, as you say, all the different sort of channels that kind of, whether it's social media or emails or whatever that distract us and um, the notifications that we get and so on. So and I think for a lot of people, the garden really is a very precious escape from that. I, that's certainly how I feel about it. Because, you, you know, the two just don't go together. You know, I don't know if you've ever tried. I, occasionally, if I've got to do something on my laptop, I've taken it out in the garden. And if it's a very sunny day, it's absolutely pointless. You know, <laughs> I can't see a thing. Um, so, you know, it's sort of, you, you actually just have to accept that, that this is not the realm to be doing this stuff. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, that's really helpful. And, and, you know, that you can get it really immersed in something, focus, focus on something without even trying. You know, the garden draws you in. You know, once you've started gardening and, as you say, nurturing your garden, um, it does, it pulls you in, you know. And I, I often go out to just pick a few herbs or something and, and suddenly find an hour, I spent an hour and a half in the garden, you know, and that's real, rather lovely. I mean, that, that, that's, that's it, isn't it? There's like almost um, an, an elasticity to time. And, and you know, I've spoken about this in, um, uh, in a couple of different ways, um, uh, you know, with regards to sustainability and around how I feel like the, a big part of sustainability with people is the disconnect with time. Um, and, and, and I feel that, you know, in, for myself personally, you know, I, the multitask moment, as you say, laptop open, phone on the go, you know, trying to literally do four or five different things at a time. And, and there's an implosion. And I feel like with the garden, it enables you to have the focus, but almost a soft focus. <laughs> yeah, it is a soft focus. Yeah, no, that's what psychologists call it. It's a kind of soft focus, a soft form of attention, rather than um, uh, oh, rather than um, uh, you know being very narrowly focused on and keep moving that narrow focus from here to here to here like a sort of little beam of light. When we go out into nature, and this again comes back to our hunter-gatherer origins, you know that that for our our ancestors prehistoric ancestors, you know, walking in the bush or in wherever, um, you know, they had to have that soft focus because there's no good only looking at the sort of the rocks just, you know, on your left, as it were. You needed, part of you needed to be attending to the whole um, in order to keep yourself safe and from, you know, from predators and so on. So this soft focus is something we don't experience enough in contemporary life. And it's one of the ways in which um, getting out into nature doesn't have to be in the garden, uh, but just getting out into nature, particularly green nature, um, uh, is uh, it's sort of it's it's quite replenishing for the brain, and and is 
studies that which I cite in the book show that you know, people's cognitive performance improves subsequently, for example. Their mood improves. Um, it helps switch off rumination, that kind of focus. So you're much less likely to be you know, dwelling on negative thoughts and so on. So, yeah, so in all sorts of ways, that, that, that soft, soft, soft focus, soft form of attention um, is, is good for us. I'm good. I'm glad I got the term right because <laughs> I was, you yeah. know, because that's how it, it, that is how it, it feels. And, um, yeah. and, and I think that, yeah, when you're, you know, when you've, um, people that, that haven't gardened before, I, so, so I remember, um, you know, I came into gardening later. In, in my life, that's no secret. And um, and I actually, to start with, it stressed me out. I tell you, I tell you why, because am I going to get it right? Have I done it wrong? Being surrounded by um, amazing people that knew a lot of things that were going to share it, but feeling very stressed that I'm never going to know all of that. And then I would have this really weird kind of flux of thinking, but it's okay that I don't know everything because I'm never going to know all this. And then I'd kind of relax a minute and then the stress would come up and now it's just trying to get the pendulum to swing. Is that is that something that's quite normal, if you like, do you think, in terms of approaching? I think, I think it is. And I think, um, I think it can be really intimidating, actually, because it does feel like this, this other world. And, and, and if someone's been very disconnected from nature... Um, it's even more daunting, sort of not really understanding. Um, and, you know, I, I'm struck that sometimes, you know, if people feel, you know, they have to follow the instructions on the seed packet absolutely exactly, and then and then it'll work, you know. And actually, of course, it's not quite like that in the garden because there's so many other factors, you know, whether it's a, you know, a, a late frost or, you know, the, the not enough sunlight because it's the... We've had, you know, weeks of overcast weather or, you know, there's just so many other variables in there. And I sort of, so what I, my approach to it is firstly start with, start simple, start growing things that are going to give you quite a lot of bang for your buck, as it were. Um, you know, whether that's sunflowers or it doesn't really matter, but just pumpkins, um, but things that um, are pretty dependable, actually, and will give you likely to give you you know good results that you can feel pleased with in a, in a few months as it were so I think that's important and the other is to sort of just you know hedge your bets spread spread it spread it sort of wide so so grow a, a range of different things and accept that you know not every each growing season is really good for some some plants and not so good for others and it's not necessarily what you've done or not done, um, you know, and we have this great myth of green fingers and, 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 and I think actually we've all got green fingers at root. Some people do have, uh, you know, such an impressive amount of horticultural knowledge, that's true. And of course that makes a difference, particularly when you're growing things that are, you know, difficult to grow, sensitive, um, you know, more tender and so on. So, um you know, I don't want to underestimate that either. But I think when it comes to it, the important thing is to just get stuck in and not be too dismayed. Things will things will go wrong. Some things won't grow. Some things won't thrive. And that's just part of gardening. And actually, in one way, it's one of the beneficial aspects of gardening. You know, I, I some of the particularly young people I interviewed on mental health projects, you know, it was 
as if they sort of learned somehow that it doesn't really matter if the if things occasionally go wrong. You know, you pick yourself up and you try again and and there's always another growing season, you know, another another year. If it doesn't work this summer, you you try again, start the following spring. Yeah, and that's like and that sounds as you, as you literally said that, it's okay, things go wrong. That sounded like life. Yes, it is life. No, the garden is really a a big metaphor for life. Yeah, I I find myself so often using metaphors um, within the garden. Now, at at the moment, obviously, you know, there is um, a real, uh, a huge amount of um, focus um, on mental well-being. Um, You know, we've obviously come through very difficult two years and the and the impact that that has had um on 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 people's mental well-being and because of your um your your career and and the role that you've had how can I put this I'd really like to understand how you feel that mental well-being has been uh described almost then it may be your 20 years ago 20 30 years ago to how it is now because the, it seems like it's prevalent now but has it always been prevalent but we've never had a language for it is 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 because it, so many people do worry about their mental well-being now as opposed to their physical well-being i i think it's both i think certainly it's become much more acceptable there used to be a real stigma around admitting you were struggling um, with anxiety or depression um, or any, 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 anything really um, that's psychological. So, so I think that stigma has lessened. I don't think it's totally, totally gone away by any means. So I think that helps people speak about it more. Um, but I do, th- I mean, we ha- you know, there's no question that the pandemic has led to a great increase in uh, in mental health problems, and there are many different reasons for that. But it's kind of um, you know, lots of lots of different stresses have come together. Uh, you know, whether that's through all kinds of losses that people have experienced, um, traumas, and so on, but also the the you know the disruption to our social supports, and particularly the lockdown periods were really tough for anybody living on their own or living with with somebody but not in a good relationship, in a difficult relationship. So that disrupts our social supports are fundamental actually to our well-being. And that, that's actually one of the things in terms of things like community gardening that can be so beneficial because gardens um they they seem to foster connection between people. I don't think anybody quite understands it. But it's been called the the pro-social aspect of nature. Um, and and I think it, it, that again works at many different levels. But I, I I would like to see, you know, a real growth in community gardening really as something that could help us collectively come out of the pandemic. Yeah, I think that sounds. You know, I can totally see what you're saying with that. And I was um, lucky enough, and I think I call it a privilege. Actually, I was able to go to a, a, it's a community a community garden that was actually. Um, that the, the doctors could actually prescribe um, uh, nature. Uh, it would be for those patients that had come to the end of um, 
when I say end of NHS care, what I mean is that if it was pain control, there was no more that could be done. It wasn't that they were dying. It was if it was if it was diabetes, and 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 talking to um, the uh, the I say patients, the gardeners, I think to say that the, the gardeners that were there. Um, the it was it was amazing because there was one gentleman who had um, immense pain uh, immense pain from an accident, and he said, which of course, if you're not in pain all the time, he said, when you're in that amount of pain, you are in your head. That pain is within. It's not shared with anybody else. It's completely isolating. So he found that by when he went to this gardening group, he could either again, immerse himself in a task but be around people and the immersement in a task would help with the pain or, like you say, talk to people and and and, and that would help to alleviate. So some, some of the community benefits, I, I think, for gardening now, it, it, again, that luckily does seem like it's, it's building. That, that does seem incredibly important, doesn't it? It is building and, and social prescribing or green prescribing is sometimes called, is becoming much more common. And, and, you know, if GPs aren't providing it, I think um, their patients need to be asking them why, because it is now supported on the NHS. And it's not always, it has to be said, funded adequately at all. Yeah. So what, what um, so in your experience, because obviously you, I know that you, you know, you travelled extensively, you've gone to so many different groups of people, you know, prison inmates. I mean, that's what one thing, I, you know, let, let's hear about that, because... I was fascinated by um, the way that you portrayed it in the book was that the garden was almost like a sanctuary space, really was a sanctuary space from the actual being in the prison. Everybody levelled out. Is that right? Is that how you kind of... Yes, absolutely, yes. No, it was a sanctuary from from, uh, inside the prison. But it was also a place where... um, I think just there's something very special about working with the natural growth force um, that really helps people feel um, that change might be possible in their lives, or certainly helps some people. I mean, it's not a magic solution by any means. But if somebody's in a state to be receptive to that, it can suddenly, because it's so tangible and you can see what you've done, you know, and there's one of the one of the um, prisoners I I um, write about in the book. You know, I I happened to be uh, visiting the garden just after they'd harvested the squash plants, and he told me about how he'd had the first positive conversation with his mother that he'd had for decades, and his family had sort of rather he'd been in and out of jail quite a lot and his family had rather sort of given up on him and he was very crippled by shame uh, but that this he actually felt he had done something worthwhile for once you know something he didn't need to be ashamed of he could be proud of and that may sound a bit sort of i don't know sentimental in a way but it what the power of it is very real and and i think it's 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 sort of it is about suddenly you know feeling that yeah, maybe I can change my life. Maybe there is something I can do. Um, because growing food is is a worthwhile thing to do, you know, and other people sort of value it, you know, they, or you can share it as well, you know, and they'll say, oh, if it's a big pumpkin, you know, someone will say, oh, wow, you grew that, you know, and suddenly you're, and this, this is, can be really good for 
kids who are struggling with feeling a bit, you know, who are perhaps not thriving in the education system or something, they can look at something and feel, yeah, actually, I, I, paid, I made this happen. I took part in this. Yeah. And and that that feeling of you've got some commonality with someone when you can ice you know the isolation that I'm I'm sure people feel when they are you know when we're in a, when we're not in a great space we do feel isolated and it's very di- it's very difficult isn't it to to kind of reach out again and and, and re literally re reconnect yourself. I somebody um, a friend of mine the other day was saying about you know she was a bit worried about her son and you know knew that kind of being out in nature would be good and and but you know he wouldn't want a garden and I and I was saying well I, I may, maybe it's a case of not not necessarily saying come and do the gardening maybe it's just a case of oh darling can you bring me a cup of tea out I'm just about to do the gardening so there's an invitation into the space you know very a very gentle invitation oh could you just pass me the the uh the seed tra- <laughs> you know the slightly slowly pulling in because of course people become fearful that you know you're going to make me into a gardener it's like well it, it the garden as you said earlier it draws you in doesn't it it does draw you in but I think it can be hard gardening I was thinking about gardening with a parent it's not always easy is it because it's it's um it's their it's their garden you know it's their space and the, that fear of doing the wrong thing can be quite um quite difficult so I, I think it's quite good to, for kids to have their own patch where it doesn't really matter what they do um you know I mean so, some children love being a helper so I mean it doesn't apply to all children but I think if they're a bit daunted by it but they would like to get going um then I think having your own, having your own patch, you know. And it's certainly what helped me personally was was this moment when I sort of said to Tom, I think I need my own little patch. And it was, you know, our youngest was, had just turned five and was going off to school and, and I was I was working in the NHS as a psychiatrist. And this little herb garden, that I, it's what I started with, it was quite small. And it was next to their sand pit and their, they had a sort of kind of Wendy house thing. So I could sort of be working in their little herb garden while they were playing um but that really helped me feel that I could do it because you know Tom Tom was a very very knowledgeable proficient gardener so it just gave me that confidence yeah I'd, I'd, I'd let me tell you Sue if 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 Tom had been my partner I'd be exactly the same I'd be I'd probably still be standing out there now going I don't know what to do just you know yeah I mean it, it's it's great but it's lovely though that you that you have um gardened alongside like you say somebody who's very experienced and very knowledgeable gardener and I think that's a really good um really good tip isn't it that sometimes we want our passion to um infuse onto somebody else and and actually uh the the garden space allow them to have maybe their own space let 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 them come to it as well um so I mean when when I you know, I've been I've been reading the book, and you know, I have to say that I I have found it as therapeutic to to read as a, as when I do my weeding, <laughs> and what I mean by that is that it's really helped me to kind of um, go through some of the stories and the understanding of how connection to nature is not something that is you know, it's okay to do, the intrinsicness of it. It's really helped to unclutter some of that, um, those feelings and, and give a language to it. I think that's what's been really great. Um, and I think that's the thing, oh, isn't no, it? Oh, no, thank you, Eric. No, it's not. I mean, I, I think that's that's really what I wanted to achieve, I think, with the book, was to give people a feeling of of being in the garden 
um, and what it can do for you to kind of bring it alive, not just to, you know, lay down the facts and the science. I mean, there is a little bit of that woven in, um, but but actually to, have, to create that feeling. Um, and also, as you say, bring things into words, because it is it is a non-verbal activity. And and so I, I really work, worked very hard on myself in a way, you know, while I was gardening to kind of think how it felt and, and also listening to people. Every now and again, I would interview somebody on a project who was just very, very able to sort of describe what gardening was doing for them. You know, rather than just saying, I know it's great, it makes me feel better or it's given me hope or, you know, but to actually go in, bring it into consciousness more really. Yeah, and I think it's that um, it's that storytelling, it's that storytelling that 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 gives the connection to how certain things was. I was one of the um, uh, references with regards to um, horticulture and war. You know, you could kind of almost go, "Whoa, where are those two different things coming from?" And actually, and actually, when I was reading it and thinking about it. I'm not saying that we are necessarily in war, but we have got a lot going on with this very, very intense world that, that, that we're living in at the moment. So those that storytelling that you was able to do, your, your own grandfather, yes, you know, be, being a prisoner of war, you know, that, that, that's important, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was, he was um, uh, released from the prisoner of war camp at the end of, end of the First World War, and it took him a long time to make his way home after he was in Tur- he was captured in Turkey. And then he he was so malnourished and um, uh, physically sort of damaged really. I mean his, you know, he wasn't expected to live very long. It took another year for my grandmother to sort of nurse him. Um, and then in in nineteen uh, twenty he started the, the year of horticultural rehabilitation that really gave him back his life. And and I was very struck, you know, my book came out in 2020, so it was exactly 100 years after uh, he had started on that journey of recovery. And there we were simultaneously, because my book came out right at the beginning of the pandemic, going into our own global crisis. And and I think there are, there are big differences, of course, but there are also parallels. No, definitely. And I think, you know, um, something that the the garden has done in the last, certainly in the last sort of two years, and an outdoor space. I shouldn't just say the garden that the garden has enabled people to to have their own space, but the the the, the garden. Sorry, that the green space. I'm sorry, the value of green space. Have you have you seen a, a value increase yourself um, through through conversations? Absolutely. I think a lot of people um, just felt it in a way they've not felt it before because of the stresses uh, and, the, and you know, the stress of particularly the lockdowns and and the anxiety about, you know, think back to the beginning of the pandemic, how, it, you know, we're still coming out of this, but at the beginning it was really frightening. We had no idea how it was going to unfold. It wasn't a vaccine on, in sight or anything. And um, that that feeling of, you know, the... The, the sort of de-stressing effect of green nature is 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 something that has it you know direct effects on our blood pressure and heart rate can be measured and have been measured in many many studies and they happen quite quickly in, in getting out into into a park or a garden uh, you know within minutes actually 
and and then you know, lowering of the stress hormones, cortisol, which is measured in the saliva. That that's documented after about twenty to thirty minutes. So these are real uh, real effects. Um, it's not just that it feels nice. Um, they are actually benefiting and uh, benefiting our our bodies in all sorts of ways and you know, activating our um, what's called our parasympathetic nervous system, which is the the rest and digest aspect of our auto, autonomic nervous system, and and that puts us in a you know in a state um, to be receptive rather than on guard, and to be more open actually. So it's one of the reasons why people you know when they're when they're in amongst trees or even indoor plants have been documented to have this effect. Um, anyone in sort of green space, um, the the various psychological studies and some brain scan studies show that we're we're shifted towards um, uh, a more empathetic state of mind, and also more likely to um, make sort of make make generous responses um, to other people. So there is something about you know actually getting out into the garden, maybe in one way, an escape from the rest of humanity, but in another way, it, it can uh, it reconnects us too. Oh, and I, I really, you know, I I'm somebody that enjoys the science of things, but I also enjoy the spiritual and the ethereal. You know, I, I love those two things, and I think that it, it's um, great now that for some people who aren't able to kind of maybe talk in a language of spirituality, the ether, etc., that some of these scientific facts can really help people know, actually, no, going for that walk, looking up at those trees, I physically know that I'm going to help myself. And if I'm physically helping myself, then hopefully the, the, the mental well-being follows from that as well. What one change should we all be making now to improve our health through nature? What could we do? Firstly, that gardeners can get so involved with the doing of the tasks and trying to stay on top of all the jobs that they don't spend enough time really enjoying uh, the beauty of their garden and connecting connecting with it. So the research shows that it's the, the feeling of connectedness with nature, finding you know um, uh, emotional significance in it and and uh, beauty and and a sense of meaning. So sometimes if, if one gets, you know, I can, I, sometimes when I'm very busy, I go out into the garden and I just feel, oh, my goodness, there's so many jobs to do and how am I ever going to get on top of them? So even in that, it, maybe when, when you do feel like that, it's even more important to just sit down for a bit and notice, notice what's good, what's go, what's growing well, what's, what's thriving, um, and not always search out the weeds, as it were. So that's one thing. But I think the other thing is about in, encouraging biodiversity in our gardens. So that's this is a much more sort of a, a much larger issue, if you like. And um, interestingly, the research shows that the more biodiverse a, a park or garden is, the more restorative it is. So it's one of those situations where what's good for nature is kind of good for us too. And you know, so encouraging a sort of a wilder look to our gardens and thinking about, you know, what's going to replenish the soil, thinking about what's going to encourage the birds and the and the bees and, and the other insects and so on. So 
So yes, I've 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 squeezed in two. I think <laughs> good. I'll I'll let you do that. Absolutely, let you do that. And I think it's lovely to kind of end on that that biodiverse. The fact that it is a big 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 uh, environment and ecosystem that we are we are part of we are not separate are we we are not separate from nature thanks for listening to me ara anderson on the bbc gardeners world magazine podcast you can find out more about the themes we've covered today at gardenersworld.com forward slash podcast if you enjoyed this episode please tell others about it rate us in your podcast provider app And don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify or Acast to never miss an episode. See you next time.